Well, good morning, church family. As you get a seat, just a real quick question. How you doing? You doing good? 14, excuse me, 13 days till Christmas. My word, it's coming fast, isn't it? Don't worry, take a deep breath. We're going to drink deeply of the goodness of God as we have a lot to do over the next few weeks. If you're a guest, my name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. We're just so glad that you're a part of our family gathering today. And if you're joining us online, welcome to our living room space as we celebrate the goodness of God this season. If you have your Bibles, grab them and go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You may have brought a paper version, old school. Yours may be digital. That's great. I would encourage you, though, even though we have it on the screen here in a moment, bring your Bible. I will refer to it from time to time here. And so you want to have that with you. While you're turning, a couple quick things you need to know about. First off, we are having our second annual Christmas Eve experience on Friday night, the 24th. It'll be online only. It's just a way to kind of gather around, celebrate the moment that leads to all the other great moments in world history. And we're going to do that with uh, just a creative online experience. Here's what you need to know. Next Sunday, we will have in the lobby candles like we did last year. So if you want to participate in the candle lighting, get your candles next week. If you don't want to use one of ours, fine. Grab one from your house, no problem. But we want to offer that to you for the Christmas Eve experience. Number two, on Sunday, the 26th, the day after Christmas, we will not be meeting here. We will be meeting online only. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate Jesus. We will have one gathering at 11 o'clock. So join online. There will be some conversation in the chat. And if you're traveling, it's a great way to stay in touch even from a distance. And so that is December the 26th. Now, we're in a series called The Songs of Christmas, looking at some familiar hymns because one of the things, doesn't matter what your tradition is, what you do at Christmas, one thing that I think we all experience is this common love and experience of Christmas songs. And I love Christmas songs. Now, when I say Christmas songs, I'm not talking Mariah Carey or 98 Degrees. Some of you know what that is. It's a few years old. Or Miley Cyrus or Michael Buble or any of those others, although those may be great. But the songs I'm talking about are the Christmas hymns. You know the ones. And every week we're looking at a different Christmas hymn, not just because it's fun and and kind of creative. And you may say, well, it's neither of those, Josh. Okay, fine. I think it's fun and creative. That's not why. The reason we're doing this is because what I know to be true about you and me is every season, every Christmas, you are going to be hearing some of these songs. And if you can hear them through the lens of the scriptures that they're based on, I know and we know then that we're not simply going to hear words, but we're going to be brought into the presence of God as we hear these songs. And today, I think maybe more than any other, has the ability to change our perspective. And in fact, it's one of my all-time favorite hymns. It was written in 1719, and it is called Joy to the World. Any of you like Joy to the World? Any of you not like Joy to the World? You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, right? Well, the song was written in in 1719 by a man named Isaac Watts. This is Isaac with what I can only imagine was a very expensive uh, either hairdo, wig, or he spent a lot of time at at the salon. But Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World as a result of something he experienced in his teens. 
in his teens, he would go to church. He loved God, but, but he really despised the singing at church because it was just bad. I mean, it was just, no one sang. No one sang on key if they did sing. It was just bad. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have an experience at church where it was just bad? The singing, you go, oh. And, you know, you're singing, Jesus is coming soon. And you think, yes, please, like right now, get me out of here. And because of the music quality, because of what he experienced, he really just could not stand going to church. And so finally, he, he was complaining to his dad one day, and he said, Dad, I can't stand church music. Partially because it was based all out of Scripture, it was line for line out of Scripture. And the problem was, is, you know, like the Psalms, they don't rhyme in English very well. And there's also this lack of music notes in the book of Psalms. And so people would make it up as they went. It just wasn't good. And so he said, Dad, I don't like the music. And I love what his father did because he didn't do what I would have done probably or maybe what you would have done. He didn't look at his son and say, Isaac, suck it up, buttercup. You will go to church and you will like it. No, he didn't say that. He said, if you don't like the music, why don't you write better songs? Isn't that cool? For a parent to invite their children or for we as the church to invite one another to find solutions to the things that we find troublesome. And so young Isaac began to do that. And over the course of his life, he wrote over 750 hymns for the church, many of which we sing today. But here's what's so interesting. The song, Joy to the World, while we may love it, and we think of it as a golden oldie, a classic, well, it once upon a time was not classic. It was cutting edge. It was considered radical. In fact, because he didn't use line for line from Scripture, he took ideas and created his own words to express it. Many in the church hated this song. In fact, many people tried to boycott joy to the world. Can you imagine a church that would try to boycott music because it was too new? I know, strange. And so, but what's interesting is over time, people began to sing the song, they began to enjoy it. And so today, it is one of the all-time great Christmas songs that does bring so much joy to so many of us. But today, I want us to zero in on one little line from this song, and here's the line I want us to look at. It's simply this. Let every heart prepare him, the hymn is Jesus, by the way, prepare him room. Let every heart Prepare him room. And I love this idea. Growing up, we love this song. In fact, I remember when my dad bought speakers and inserted them throughout the ceiling of his house. And my dad, because he was already sort of deaf when I was a kid because he'd been a disc jockey for years, he would turn the music up to like an 11. And so we would listen to Mannheim Steamroller's version of Joy to the World. And I loved it. How many of you know what Mannheim Steamroller is? Any of you? Great music. If you love Jesus, go home and listen to it. It's outstanding. And then a few years ago, my wife introduced me to my new favorite version of Joy to the World by Bebo Norman. But the thing that I love about this is not who sings it, but the deep theological proclamations that it gives. Because it's not based on human wisdom, but it's based on God's promise to you and to me. And so this phrase, let every heart prepare him room, comes from a very curious little place. In Scripture, in Luke chapter 2, we're told the story by a man named Luke. Luke was a physician, and he had written down and collected documents chronicling the life of Jesus. And he gets the notes about Jesus' birth. And in Luke chapter 2, he tells us about the moment when all moments in history changed. This is what he wrote. And while they were there, talking about Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born. 
And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. By the way, his name is Jesus. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And I just wonder this morning, have you ever been in a place where there just wasn't a whole lot of room? I think back to growing up and going to my grandma's house for Christmas. I've told you stories from that, but one of the ones that stays in my mind is how there were so many of us, and as more grandchildren were being born, I mean, we're like rabbits. Every year there's another one. And so you'd simply go and you'd find a place to lay down. If you're lucky, you'd get a couch. If you weren't lucky, you'd get a piece of floor, and that was about it. And I remember the year that grandma got a pull-out couch, a pull-out bed, and it's like, yes, thank you, a full night's sleep. It's going to be amazing. Until our parents thought it'd be a great idea to put like five of us on this one pull-out couch. And again, I'm thinking, okay, it'll work okay. Until I realized they left the plastic on the mattress. Have you ever tried to sleep on plastic? It is sticky and not fun. And I was like, why did you do this? Until I woke up the next morning next to my cousin who wet the bed and I realized this is why you do this. And I was like, man, there is no room. There's no room at all. But this one little idea that there was no room for Jesus in that world. And the question I want us to dive into for the few minutes this morning is this simple question. Do you have any room? Like right now, if you were to audit your life, do you have room? Or would you say, Josh, I am maxed out. I'm maxed out time-wise. I'm maxed out mentally. I have no room for one more thing up here. I'm maxed out emotionally. You don't know what's happening. The things I'm having to juggle, the loss, the grief, maybe the addiction, the fear, the panic. I don't have room. And I think one of the challenges of Christmas is we are all supposed to be happy at Christmas. Have you noticed everyone assumes this is the time of year you're supposed Steve, you're supposed to be happy this year. Did you know that? That's just, I mean, it's just you're supposed to because it's, Hannah, you got to be happy, right? And so then not, all, not only do we sometimes feel overwhelmed because of no room, we then have the pressure of an expectation that many of us just go, I have no room even for that. And I was thinking about what, what must it have been like? Now, if I had time, I would tell you about this little manger scene, how it was most likely a space carved out of a rock, a little indented cave space where the animals were kept. If we had time, I would explain to you that the very sheep kept in that area, many of them would have been chosen as the sacrificial lambs for the temple in Jerusalem because the sacrificial lambs were born and raised in the fields of Bethlehem. And so that very night in that little area were possibly some of the perfect lambs. If I had time, I would explain that God did this on purpose, that his son, the perfect spotless lamb, is there among the sheep. But we don't have time for that. Instead, I just want to ask you, do you have room? And isn't it interesting that in a world that was so crazy with Rome, with its boot heel on the neck of Israel, with all of the uncertainty and the political climate, with finances and people being unable to support themselves, with all of that, a world that needs joy, they said we have no room for joy, and so joy is put out in the barn. My question is, do you, do you need joy this Christmas in fact, if I were to say, who in here wants joy? I wonder how many of our hands would go up. Like, like, do you want joy this morning? If it were me, you asked, I'd be like, yes, please. Two hands way up. Who needs more joy? This guy. Who needs the filling of God? This guy. 
I already have plenty of cynicism. I already have enough fear. I already have enough worry. I already have enough stress. I don't need any more. I'm all tapped out. But what I could always use is a little more joy. Now, it's about this point in, you, in most messages that the preacher will then say, hey, I want to tell you how to have joy. And I do want to share a couple suggestions with you, but that's not all I want to do this morning. Let me start, though. How do I get joy? Because here's the reality. Some of you have grown up in church, and you're saying, yes, I want joy. Yes, I need joy. Yes, I'm just too busy. And then there are others in here you've grown up, but maybe you don't have a relationship with the body of Christ. Maybe you are just kicking the tires of faith, and you're saying, yeah, this sounds good. I'd like that, but how? Because isn't it true, if we all knew how, we would do it? So let me give you a couple of simple hows. These are just a couple of things that have worked for me. Maybe they'll help you. One of the things that I've done and I've built it into as a rhythm is in the evenings, not every night, but as many nights as I can. I won't turn on a show. I won't turn on another YouTube video. I won't read a book, but I'll go into the living room, turn on our Christmas tree lights, and I'll put on some music on my ears so I don't wake the kids. And I'll just let some of the more silent, reflective songs of the season go. And it is a way to say, okay, I just need space. I, I need room. So maybe for you, it's not turning on another show that's only going to wire you more, but it's putting on the truth of songs that reaffirm that there is a God who came, who loves you, and he has not abandoned you to whatever you're going through. Another thing our family has done, and some of you do this as well, is we have a nightly Advent reading. So every night we read from our kids' uh, Bible storybook. It's one that's specifically for this time of year that we use it for. And we have a little Christmas tree in the upstairs. I mean, this, it, it's, it's pitiful. Like, Charlie Brown would not trade his tree for our tree. Are you tracking with me? How many of you even get the, that reference? Anyone? Very good. Bart in the back there, I'm glad. But every night we'll go and we'll turn on the little Christmas tree. We'll hang a new ornament for that day, and then we'll read. And it's just a way to center ourselves. And one of the things our kids love to do is then they'll pick songs, and we'll sing songs, they dance, or they do whatever they're going to do. It's just a moment to say, okay. But those may be some ways for you to process how, but I want to be frank. I don't think how is what will fix the problem for any of us. Because here's the reality. Most of us already know how to do most anything we want to do in life. Let me give you an example. I would like to be ridiculously in shape, like six-pack abs, you know, where you just kind of go, and that's what I would love. But instead, I look like a Twinkie. Anyone else in here already Twinkie-shaped? And what does it come down to? Is it because I don't know how to eat or how to exercise? No, the how is there. It's the why. There's something underneath it. It's not knowing more. It's doing different, like having a different idea. So I don't want to talk about just how. I want to share with you why. Why should I make room for Jesus? Why should I make room? Because I think if we get the why family, if you understand why, then it will fix all the hows. Because here's what I also know. Sometimes when we talk about how in church, we go away feeling guilty. We don't go away feeling like I can do it. It's just one more thing to do. It's one more activity. It's one more way of how I'm failing. But when I get the why, it changes absolutely everything. And so I just want to take a couple moments and talk about the why. Why should you make room for Jesus? And the answer to that question goes back to today's song. There's this very interesting little idea here. And I, just, I don't want to burst your bubble too strongly, but did you know that Joy to the World is not a Christmas song? Did you know that? 
Isaac Watts did not write this thinking this would make for a great Christmas Eve service. He didn't write it thinking about this. Rather, we are told, and we know this from history, he wrote this song while sitting under a tree in London, not reading Luke 2, but reading this passage, Psalm 98. This is what he was reading when he wrote the words that you and I sing every year. He he, he read, Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers, notice this, clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of Joy. He got the idea from Psalm 98 saying, This is a psalm. This is a song of joy. And it's the whole creation singing for joy. Does this sound familiar? Let heaven and nature sing. It's from this passage. And yet there's one little line in his song that he did borrow from Luke 2. And it's the one that makes us a Christmas song in so many ways. It's that little line where an angel shows up. And this angel declares that there's now joy available. But there's this need, this problem, this promise of hearts needing to prepare room. And it comes from that little phrase that there was no room for Jesus That we as people have a great way of filling our lives so full of stuff. Let me give you a different translation. So full of garbage. So full of secondary things. Maybe even good things, but they're not God things. We have a way of being so busy for God that we have no time to be with God. That our lives are too full. Our lives are too busy, too hectic. And we see the result of it in us and around us. And yet the beauty, the promise of this of this song is that God is available to give joy. And so here's sort of a simple thing to write down. If you don't write down anything else, write this down or take a picture. If you don't pay attention to anything else, pay attention to this. Because what you want when you say, yes, I want joy. By the way, isn't it interesting? Sometimes when we sing songs to God, we raise our hands. It's like we're saying, yes, please, I want joy. Now, I know in the churches of Christ, we don't do this. We do more like this. Or, or maybe you're like me, you do the heartburn one, right? It's like, oh yeah, just, ooh. But whatever it is, it's a way of saying yes, please, to God. And so here's what I want you to write down. If you don't remember anything else, write this down. More room, more room in my life, more room in my schedule, more room in the interior thoughts and attitudes and feelings. More room equals more Jesus. Just like all the houses in Bethlehem, desperate for joy, desperate for the presence of God. Little did they know Jesus, God himself, was in their midst, but they had no room for it. But more room leads to more Jesus, and more Jesus, church, leads to more joy. And not some sort of sappy, saccharine, Hallmark movie style of joy. That's not a slap to my Hallmark movie watching friends here. But let's be honest, there's a joy that ignores circumstance. And there's a joy 
that does not ignore it, but says, in spite of all of this, God is good. The world's not over. The King has come. He reigns on high and nothing, not life, not death, angels or demons, not success or failure, not good health, not bad health. Nothing in all creation can dethrone the King of kings. And when the angel said He is here, it means joy is here and nothing can remove it. This is what the promise is. But see, I want joy, but I often don't have joy because I don't give Jesus room. But more Jesus requires more room. So what does that mean? How does that work for us? I was thinking about how so many of us, we try to fill ourselves up with so many different things. And again, if we could sit down, it might look different, but for some of us in this room... We try to fill ourselves up, try to find joy, a temporary something that gives us a sense of, yes, life's okay, and we do it maybe by relationships. Well, if I just find another relationship, maybe this one will be better with this person or with that person or more sex or whatever it may be for you. And all you find is it doesn't fulfill. It's, it's sort of that, it's the cotton candy joy where it's momentary and then gone. And for others of us in here, it's maybe not relationships, it's just status. So you work a lot. You just work and you work and you work and you found that it does not ultimately lead to joy and all of the success never fills the void in your heart. And maybe for some of us, it's just you've blinged out your house. You think, well, if I can just chip and Joanna gains the bathroom, then I'll find joy. Now, it didn't work with the living room or the kitchen, but I think if I get the bathroom, then I will find joy. But it hasn't. And for others still, it may be your money or sales, but again, it is never enough. Do you want joy? If you want joy, then all it is, what you need more than anything else, is you need the presence of God. And I think about how, as children, isn't it easy often to find joy as kids? Do you remember those days as kids? It was so easy to find joy. This is how easy it was for me. I would go outside. I would find a stick. You say, what kind of stick? Didn't matter. A stick. I would collect sticks as children. Yes, I have mental illness. Pray for me. And I keep them, I put them next to the house, and then I come out and I play with them so it's a sword or it's a, it's a gun or it's whatever it may be. And it was so easy, but it's amazing as you get older. Isn't it interesting as you get older, joy seems so much harder to come by? And, and the sticks don't seem to do it anymore, do they? And yet there's this beautiful promise in Luke chapter 2 that joy is available and it's not temporary. It's not based on externals. Because Jesus provides this constant, supernatural joy that does not ebb and flow. So if you want more joy, yes, I want more joy. If you want more joy, it's I need more Jesus. And if you need more Jesus, it comes down to saying, have I prepared my heart for Him? And it's a daily, daily decision, a daily discipline, a daily opportunity. Because when Jesus comes, He fills us and He gives Joy, I think about for so many of us, as this joy begins to bubble up in us, and you know the taste when it's happened, things begin to change. So your attitude, all of a sudden, is not quite so sour and Grinch-like, and you begin to see things differently, even though the circumstances may be the same, your perspective begins to change. Why? Because you know that God has not left you. Jesus is alive. God enters our place and is with us. Joy is available. And for others, it starts to impact our words. And so we, where we used to be critical 
or snarky or sarcastic. We begin to speak words of love and grace. And people are like, why are you different? I, I, this isn't you. And you go, Jesus. All I know is Jesus. And then for some of us, it's then starting to impact our actions, the way we just do life. And we find ourselves being more generous with our time and our our physicality because Christ has come. And now it's not about, I don't have room for it. I don't have space to do more. It's rather he frees us to live fully. And, And I'm just, I'm wondering this morning, do you want joy? Do you need joy? See, today we light the third candle of Advent which is the joy candle. And you'll notice it's pink. It's not the same as the others because joy is categorically different than anything out there. And the way it comes, joy, not one that comes and goes, but one that is stable and secure comes from Jesus. But more Jesus means you need more room. So friend, this morning I ask again, have you prepared your heart for Jesus? Have you prepared room for him? And some of us say, okay, so Josh, I, I like the idea, but what does that mean? How does that happen? Well, here's how it works. If you do not yet follow Christ, if you've not given your life to Jesus, it begins by giving ownership of the heart, your life, to Jesus. You say, okay, what does that mean? Let me be very, very clear, friend. Following Jesus is as simple as a couple things. It is saying, I can't, I can't fix it. I can't clean out what's going on. Heaven knows I've tried, but it's saying I can't. And saying to Jesus, I trust you. Will you forgive me? Will you fill me? Will you lead me? It's that simple. And one of the things we do, and the Bible teaches this, is you are then baptized. That this is a moment and things happen in the waters that I can't fully explain. But I love the image that when you go down in the water, have you noticed you are... If you've ever witnessed a baptism, someone is lowering someone else down. You are allowing the full weight of your life to go under. And so what does it mean to get more room for Jesus? It's to simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. You save me, but you're also my Lord. You're my boss. And for some of us, you've already given your life to Jesus, but you've found that you've begun to pull other things into it. Today may be just a declaration. Jesus, it's yours again. I give it back to you because without you, without you, this doesn't work. But it can start. And so we're going to pray together. And I'm going to invite you. Do you need more room for more Jesus, for more joy this morning? If you do, even today, not just for this season, but for all seasons, you can prepare your heart And say, I give it back to you. I give it back to you. I keep trying to pull it, but I give it back to you. And God is faithful to enter the busyness, the stressfulness. And just as he did on that dark night in the outskirts of Bethlehem, with the cry of a baby's voice, declare that joy has come and he will enter wherever he is welcomed. But we're going to pray and ask God to enter in again. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask you to come into our hearts, into our places. We give you full reign in every part of our lives. And we ask, dear Jesus, that you would fill it. We give you room. Lord, for some in here, 
For some of us, we simply need to declare that we can't be God anymore and we need to give our lives to you. I pray, Lord, for whoever may be at that point that they will that they will seek us out here at the end, that they will say, yes, I need to follow, I'm ready, help me do so. Lord, I pray for those here who need to take that first step. And Father, for others who have said yes to you and been baptized, I pray that today they will once again just say, God, it's all yours. I need more of you. And then I praise you for the way that you will fulfill that promise of bringing joy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all those who agreed said... Amen.